it's Caracone Carne. Smashed Plastic. The men behind <laughs> Smashed Plastic. The record press in Chicago are in my car. Uh, my car is a Mazda that I acquired from the Autobahn Mazda of Evanston, which was recently named Dealer of the Year by DealerRadar.com for 2019. No small accolade there. And uh, we are in a Mazda 3, and I should mention the all-new 2019 Mazda 3 sedan and hatchback have arrived and are now in stock. I love the Mazda 3, uh, and I love you guys. I love you three guys. Uh, it is Andy, Steve, and John from Smashed Plastic. I have tacos from a sketchy uh, grocery store about a mile away. <laughs> are you ready to eat them? Uh, cool. I mean, why not? <laughs> okay. It's car con carne. I, I also own a Mazda too. Okay. Do you really? Yeah, well, it's a Mazda Five. Where, Mazda Five, a yeah. lovely vehicle. Yeah, a lovely Great. vehicle and safe. Very safe. I've owned it for eleven years. It's it's kept me wonderful for yeah. eleven years. I know at some point I should upgrade my car, but I'm at the point where I kind of want to ride it until it's like a Flintstones cartoon, yep. where I close the door <laughs> and it just falls apart piece by piece. Exactly. Feet go through the floor. I'm right there with you. Is this car more older than Andy's? This doesn't seem like you got some years, you know? All right, so we've got, I got, there's nowhere to eat where Smash no, Plastic we're is. We're in, we're in a terrible food neighborhood. So I brought food to you, <laughs> and I first tried to go to El Patron because I love the tacos oh, at El Patron. Oh, yeah. too. It was pandemonium in there, and they, they could not get their orders straight. People were complaining at the counter. No one was sure where the line started or stopped, and I stood there for a while. I thought, no, I'm just going to. I'm going to throw the dice and see where else I can find. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a Hispanic grocery store about three blocks west of there. Inside is a taqueria. It looked like they were closing up. They only had two meats left, so I got El Pastor and steak. Uh, no pollo tonight. I almost got horchata. I love a good horchata. But they serve it with a ladle, and there was only about three inches left of horchata <laughs> in the no. cooler. So, yeah, I, I, I chose to not. Uh, so help yourself to tacos. Let's talk about Smash Plastic. The elevator pitch for Smash Plastic is, hmm. who doesn't have a mouthful yeah, of food? Thanks, thanks. Yeah, I got tacos in my mouth. Um, this is Andy talking. Yeah, this is Andy. Yeah, and with tacos in my mouth, mm -hmm. and they're they're not bad. Okay, they're, good. They're yeah. very good on the grocery store taco list for and, sure, and about two dollars cheaper per taco than El Patron. There you go. See. Um, and, you and you run I'm, a startup. You can appreciate yeah, I'm spilling, benefit analysis. And I'm spilling it all over your Mazda interior here. Oh, so please. Sorry about that. I, I've had people spill much bigger than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the elevator speech. Uh, smash plastic. Yeah, we are the only record-pressing plant in Chicago. We just opened on February 2nd officially. Um, we started this whole journey probably three years ago with the idea of bringing a record-pressing plant to Chicago. Because there wasn't one here. And Which seems crazy to me. Yep. We thought that all along. This yeah. being the music hub that it is, and I think people are slowly realizing that, what's the closest one to here? Is there even one in Illinois? No. 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 Cleveland. Holy Cleveland God. and Detroit. Cleveland, Detroit, yeah. Well, for years, I mean, yeah. didn't record pressing places all but shut down like 20 years ago? For sure, yeah. There were only a few factories left in the United States, bigger ones. Um, and then, you know, as the boom started happening, really, 10 years ago, started picking up. And it's, it's been a... People 
kind of feel like it's a spike. It's really been kind of a, a slow climb mm-hmm. to where we are now. Oh, Steve looks like he could use a napkin. <laughs> he looks like he's about to wipe it on his jeans. Uh, no, I'm, I'm pointing I've to see if anybody wants a steak. Yeah, I've got one. Um, yeah, so anyway, then all of a sudden, smaller plants started popping up. and But there was still an issue, and it was an issue when we started, to find machines. So people were rehabbing old machines. Mm-hmm. Some of the machines that some of the machines that were originally here in Chicago 30 years ago ended up in Kansas and got rehabbed. So, you know, people were bringing up machines from Mexico and rehabbing Digging them. Digging them up, literally. Some yeah. old, broken down machines was the only way to go. So when we when I it's hard to base a business off a machine sure. that that is might a break questionable, down. yeah, yeah, well, especially when you 40, own one four year old te- yeah. forty yeah. year old technology. So that really didn't appeal to us at all. And there was a company out of Germany at first that was doing new machines that quickly got into the business and then quickly kind of disappeared from the business as well. So as we started going down this path about two years ago, Viral Technologies out of Toronto had basically launched their first plant here in the United States with a couple machines. So we went down there. Steve and I flew down and looked, went to see them and saw them in operation. Um, actually, one of their techs from their from from corporate words from viral tech was there even which was i also thought was kind of cool and yeah so we saw the new machines and we thought well this is the path we need to go and then that's just where our pain just started but you know (laughs) (laughs) then we had to figure out all the extra ancillary equipment that goes into where to put it putting it it, yeah uh, what building's gonna let us do this in and we have you know because it's loud it's yeah, yeah it's loud we have a large chiller i mean we have a chiller with a large condenser up on a roof we needed to have first floor access because we have to run pipe up to the roof you know not every building wants you to do that and our press is 10 tons so you need to be able yeah, to have that a floor is a that monster yeah. supports that yeah i think when we first started look you know thinking about this the idea was like oh i could just get something and put it in my garage and yeah make some records when i have time but um it's not quite that easy you know, there's a lot of thought, a lot of project management getting that up and running. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the good news is we just kind of tackled one problem problem at a time. Otherwise, um, it would have been overwhelming. Yeah. And it was at times. It was absolutely overwhelming at times. I'm not sure I would, if, if I knew how much, I, I'm loving it now, but if I knew how much pain <laughs> it was, I'm not sure, you know, future me would have told that current me back then to do this. But Well, Andy, as, you just said something. When we were inside, when you gave me a tour, which is on... Uh, the Kirkland Carney Facebook page and the Kirkland Carney YouTube, you were saying it's still really fun for you. I mean, you have days sure. that are maybe less fun, but I mean, with a smile on your face, you said, I still have fun every day. Yeah. I mean, I thought about it this morning. You know, I was on vacation a little bit last week and I was getting in the car driving to work this morning. And, you know, nobody likes getting up on a Monday and driving to work, right? And I was driving along and I thought to myself, well, this beats doing what most people are doing today i'm going in and i'm making records and i get to listen to records after i'm done making those records so that's the american dream sure yeah. why not okay yeah. and then like andy said we've recently seen our records make it to stores get into yeah. people's hands go to across the country that's thrilling it's kind of yeah. exciting yeah. Yeah. john oh, no, was just totally in san francisco he's at amoeba records in san francisco and sees a record that we pressed Damn. all the way on the other coast so i mean how does, it doesn't get any better than that yeah like we've had we've had guys come in and hug us because they were so happy that we're making the record. Like, yeah. they're almost in tears. Yeah, we've had clients hug like, us. Yeah, that's... They nobody, are so excited that we are making the record. I wanted to hug you, and you didn't even press anything for me. <laughs> I, we'll give you I'll a take hug. a hug. We'll give you a hug. <laughs> I, I, just, I just enjoyed being in there so much. But it's interesting. I mean, you, like any good startup, you identified a need, and there was clearly a need. I mean, this music community, it was dying for this. And my perception of pressing vinyl 
has been since obliterated. But my perception was always vinyl's out of reach. You need you need to be wealthy to do a vinyl release. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of bands have thought here in in Chicago. And that's you just basically said why we opened the place. And we set our minimums at two fifty here, as most plants are. At 500 for mm-hmm. records so because we, we wanted an entry point for people who aren't doing vinyl right now you know somebody who maybe is only doing a digital release we wanted we wanted to make it accessible and also kind of take that fear out of it too being able to talk to the owners talk face to face we can walk you through the process Definitely. and as it you is saw, interesting you don't have like a rate card on your website no and i think that speaks to what you're talking about right now is just developing that relationship and kind of knocking down those perceived barriers yeah for sure we we definitely well there's so many different elements that go as into each order we thought it was crazy just to throw up a rate card because there's so many different things yeah, that and more importantly like andy just said there's so many options for any release and then when we were dealing with customers that may have never pressed vinyl before to try to show them on a rate card or something like here's everything you need and here's the 10 different options whether it's the covers or the different types of mastering or the different types of format it's we have a lot of that interaction we bring people into our space we talk to people very directly about what the options are we show them but to try to abstract it even further by saying hey you could have a gatefold or a triple gatefold trying to explain that to someone has never done vinyl before can be a really tricky kind of thing that we're usually walking into that process so we did the the facebook live and you gave me the tour uh, of how things are done i saw how quickly records can get pressed i mean it's a it's a shockingly fast and efficient process for a run like you're talking about like a 250 pressing is that a day's worth of work? Like, it what should kind be of about a around? half a day. Yeah, yeah, it should be about a half a day's of work. I mean, the one thing you didn't get to see is how long it takes us to kind of get the machine set up and get it ready to roll. And so there's there also is some of, of that. A, there's but, a middle step in there, too, where yeah. we do a test press, and we kind of alluded mm-hmm. to it. But yeah. So we probably don't run everything as soon as we get it. There's there's a little bit of setup, like Andy said. There's a little bit of uh, a timeline of the process. But then when we do that test pressing, that's the great opportunity for the band, the artist, the label, to actually see what we're going to press before we press 250 of them or 500 of them, and it might not be what they're expecting. So Well, and I also think it's important for people to know that the only thing we actually do here in this facility is make the actual record we still have to rely on printers to get us the labels mm-hmm. we have to rely on lacquer cutters to cut the lacquer that creates the grooves in the record and then that goes off to a plating plant and that makes the negative of the mm-hmm. record that goes into our machine that's so, so cool. all this stuff we have to kind of line up and make sure all that's ready to roll before that machine ever goes on so there is a lot of elements and steps sure. to it we're just kind of the end product now Saying that, we can also take customers from the beginning all the way through because we have those relationships with the places that do the cutting and do the plating. And I would imagine a customer, a band musician, would be preferring a one-stop solution. Certainly. Most of them do. Soup to nuts, if you will. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's some more sophisticated people who've been do- who've been doing records for a very long time, and they're doing business with us as well, who literally have their plates sent to us have their labels sent to us and we're fine with that as well it's nice it's nice to kind of have both clients but yes we can also handhold somebody who literally just walked out of the studio and has no idea what to do we can take them and walk them through the process and i'd say even a step further too because we work with the same mastering engineers and plating companies we've developed an expertise where if somebody you know there are adjustments to be made at every step in the process so if we receive audio from somebody and we know that it's not going to exactly translate to what they're thinking on vinyl we work direct with our lacquer cutting engineer to kind of make adjustments or talk you know 
kind of give that feedback to our client. So at every step of the way, we're trying to you know optimize what we're ending up with our end product. And because we know how the vinyl is going to sound, we know how it's going to translate, we know how it's going to sound on multiple different turntables, we're able to provide that for someone that hasn't really gone through that process you know directly themselves. I love that. And as a service, as a resource to this community, I mean, I saw all kinds of different artists getting their records pressed here. I saw an ambient artist. I saw a ska artist. I know William Steffi just had his record pressed here. Yep, right. I mean, you're, you're servicing everybody. I mean, you're, you're a fantastic resource for the Chicago music scene. Well, certainly. And we have to, yeah, we, of course we're going to get it all because we have it all here in mm-hmm. Chicago, right? All kinds, sure. of, all kinds of different genres, you know, all walks, so. You know, the idea of holding on to something, I collected records for many years. I collected them through most of the 90s and then kind of what we were talking about briefly all the record plants started closing people weren't pressing records anymore i had a big cd collection at that time i thought well shit maybe i'll just donate all my records maybe it's time you move with vinyl enough and you think oh i can't do that i don't know right i've lost so many friends along the way who've helped me move that those records (laughs) right what was it You, you talked about the boom what was it you think that brought people back was it the, had we swung so hard in the digital direction that we really missed the collectability or just the, the, the tactile? Yeah, yep. a little bit of both, I think. I think the, the one thing that I always use and I always say is that when it became... I've always been a major music collector, and, and one of the greatest things about records is discovery, right? You know, you've discovered some band that somebody else doesn't know, right? Everybody loves that. Or in a conversation, the one thing people always say, right? Oh, I have that record, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I have that record. Well, then the minute Spotify comes along and there's everybody has that record. You pick up your phone and you're like, no, I've got that record. It's right here in my phone. Yeah. So it just devalued everything. For sure. So now all of a sudden... I think people are seeing that value and owning something tactile and owning something and actually really saying, yeah, this is this is me. And now on the artist side of that, the way I look at it is it's like, well, anybody can record something in their back bedroom and throw it up on, you know, throw it up on the Internet and say they've made a record. But have you really made a record? Right. Yeah. And I think almost the opposite. Like I, someone would say I would be saying, do I have that record? Like I when I downloaded all the free <laughs> yeah. music yeah. online yeah. and it was an iPod and you couldn't mm-hmm. even tell the cover art back so when it was original I didn't know if I I still don't know if yeah. I have some records digitally right. because have. it's a it's a big dump sometimes and that was almost the exact opposite of what you were just describing James when you were young and you were collecting it or you were discovering it the whole point was to sit with it and have it and enjoy it and, and you couldn't buy every record now that you can have every record in your pocket or whatever every album every recording in your pocket it, it's a very different interaction with music well and also now that artists aren't making the same amount of money as they did 20, 30, 40 years sure. ago when you had mega bands that sold mm-hmm platinum style you know records and then that's where they made all their money records are another way to support people support bands especially local bands and that's what i've always done it's like okay if i'm at a local show at the bottle or the hideout and i'm digging the band i'm gonna give them that 20 bucks on the way out the door for the record i might not listen to that record right away i might it might sit in my collection i love when i pull one out from five six years ago and i'm like oh man i remember this show it was great put the record on you're like wow it's still great. That's it. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. it right there. It's a memory. Yep. It's a, um, you know, going back to the tactile, like, you know, I can listen to Spotify in my car. I can listen to it when I'm running, you know, whatever. But, like, if I put a record on, you sit down and listen to it. Like, it's it's a, it's an experience more than it is. Like, you pay attention to the record. That's it. Right? And that's what I tell people, too. The difference to me, coming back to vinyl after all those years away, when you put on a side of a record, you are locked in for 20 minutes. Right. 
when I'm listening to a playlist on my Google Play Music, I am ADD. I'll listen to the first 30 seconds of a song, and I'm just sure. powering through it. But when you put on an album side, you're in it. Right. The bad songs and the good. You right. That you're experiencing that artist and that artistic work as it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. And there's something to be said for that. Yeah, for and, sure. and, 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 you know, don't get me wrong. I think there's both... There, there's space for both in lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm out jogging, I'm not listening to a record or whatever. If it's on in the background, things going on in the house. Same way people use television, too, sure. right? You know, you've got something you kind of care about or some documentary you really have to sit down and dig into. It's kind of the same idea. The one thing I do think that digital goes hand-in-hand hand with vinyl is that it is nice now that people can actually sample a little bit of what they want before they buy it, too. True. So I think they still there's still an element there that where they do go hand-in-hand. I should mention Carcon Carney, presented by the Audubon Mazda of Evanston, here with the gentleman behind Smashed Plastic on the west side of Chicago, a record... What, what, what's the technical term? A record-pressing facility? A rec- record-pressing plant. plant. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. We call it the plant. I, I'm going to ask an important question yet. Do I get a taco? You haven't, you haven't got any oh, tacos yeah. yet. <laughs> Man, we I've devoured ours back here. They're gone. <laughs> yeah. I just need one. Well, I'm going to ask a question, then I'm going to eat. That sounds good. Uh, <laughs> you got a lot to Yeah. So, all right, what hooked you, each of you, I'll, I'll go around, what hooked each of you into vinyl? Was it, or, or do you remember the first record you ever bought? We'll start in the backseat. Hmm. Um, yeah, the first record I owned was Police Synchronicity. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, what, I, you know, before that, I also had so many, I'm the youngest of four, so I had, you know, the hand-me-down records. So I think it was always something that was going on in my house. Yeah, yeah. The first record I ever had was uh, Michael Jackson Thriller. I remember of course. When it came out. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was same year as Synchronicity. That was a, yeah. that was a four. Yeah, <laughs> I think everybody was excited about that. But I remember having all of it. I remember the actual gatefold sleeve, and it had the Michael yeah. Jackson, you know, laid out, and it had. Uh, <laughs> the, yeah. I remember the lyric sheet had the drawings of Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson, uh, like a hand drawn thing of them singing the duet, "The Girl Is Mine." I mean, all oh that stuff, God. like you said, has a real uh, important kind of a connotation not just you know hearing a song even and then we were we always joke about it we just talked about it recently i think last christmas the biggest seller in the uk was uh portable turntables for you know kids Mm -hmm. 11 to 13 or whatever the age was yep getting kids that never knew what a record was they're so young that they didn't grow up seeing them or even know what they are like still have interest in that and want to have the the item like you said the art you know the piece of art the actual thing that they could put on their shelf that they can give to someone they can everything about it the tactile part of it they they never were exposed to that and it still resonates with with young people which is kind of cool how do you steve yeah and i'm gonna be a copycat i was i was michael jackson thriller too <laughs> so uh uh but i mean i remember listening to you know records as a kid you know my mom was a kenny rogers fan so yeah, like listening to the gambler and like sweet. hanging out to that and then um you know the muppets christmas carol we had yeah. that on <laughs> on uh I'm, I'm, I'm i'm looking for that now for my kids but I had the um, star wars soundtrack too which yeah. i didn't know oh my god that's awesome yeah but um yeah it, it's it's all the memories that kind of sprung up um you know going back my parents moved and you know finding all their records now and, and the memories that came along with those it's really kind of neat to yeah, have now that. that now that you mention it my first record has to have been those plastic Fisher Price yeah. records oh, with yeah, the, oh yeah with the we little knobs in we it we have one yeah. at home yes oh my God. I guarantee you that was my first um, yeah my three year old <laughs> when I you know telling about records and he like ran up and got it and like brought it down he's like here's my bucket player it's adorable <laughs> well one of the things too for years buying records or collecting records required owning a turntable and a receiver and speakers cost prohibitive for someone who maybe just have a casual interest but now 
for 80 bucks, you can buy a turntable. Right. Oh, you right. can buy one for probably six bucks at a thrift store. That's how I got my first record player. Yeah. And uh, when I was growing up, too, and I was, whatever, a teenager, not even old enough to go to actual shows most of the time, I, we, I had a used thrift store record player. All the bands that I wanted to see, the punk bands, all made seven inches. Mm-hmm. I had only seven inches. That's all you could even buy the music on back then. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was when CDs, I mean, I'm pretty old, when it was when CDs weren't even in households. People didn't even have, like, you know, what do you call it, like deck CD players at that point. So you can, I think they're out there for sure. But like you said, they've been marketed in a way where you can buy them affordably. You can buy portable ones. You can yeah. buy, you almost have to have all the things that you had to have, a receiver, a preamp, uh, cords, any of that kind of stuff. Now, uh, you know, a young person can buy something from Urban Outfitters and be plugged in within, you know. Exactly. I mean, I, rem- I remember making those trips to Radio Shack to get the speaker wire and then, you know, trimming them and getting <laughs> yeah. the, the, the cable plugged in the back of the speaker. So as a startup, Smash Plastic, it's fun, it's amazing, it's a resource. How draining is it? Just are you here? Tw- are you here twenty hours a day? Because I know getting something like this off yeah, the ground. I mean, there's been some long days, but the long days aren't that bad, you know. Um, well, you're with your friends. And yeah. yeah. Today is a long day. I'm, you know, but hey, we press records this morning. I'm sitting in a car talking to you now, James. I mean, this isn't eating a bad tacos. day. Yeah. yeah, I'm eating tacos. This isn't a bad day. No, Living I mean, the dream. it really. I mean, I think what was way more draining for all of us. I. I don't want to speak for everybody, but I'm sure they would agree with me, was just getting this thing up off the ground. I mean, that was way more draining. Those days were awful. And I remember at the time people saying to me, well, you're never going to notice the minute you turn that machine on and you're an actual business. But, you know... It's, yeah, waiting for a contractor to show up. And yeah, when I mean, are they um, going to do it? And are they going to yeah, like all of the that part's the pain? Never fun. Yeah, and, and and it was hard, right? Like, I mean, sometimes I think when we do interviews and we talk to people or we talk to clients, sometimes people I think we're so casual about it that it's like, oh yeah, it's just the easiest thing in the world to do. No, it really <laughs> is. We turn out yeah. a record every thirty <laughs> no, seconds. No, it really isn't that easy to do. But um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not saying that we're geniuses for doing it. Anybody can figure it out. We figured it out. But I'm just saying it. It's it took a lot. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll say on the other end of it, too, like we had this, this grand opening party. We saw a lot of people. A lot of people saw us. They saw that our space was done and finished and was real. We were making records. And you had multiple people come up to me and say, thank you for taking a risk on this. Like, well, I'm a yeah. musician, and, you know, everybody kind of knows that this would have been great, but we realize that it takes a lot of effort, yeah. a lot of, you know, work, a lot of money, a lot of risk. And, and a lot of people literally phrased it like that where I was like, oh, that, that makes a lot of sense yeah. to me that a musician or a band – is now excited that this is an option for them and and you know it took a lot they couldn't do it themselves and a lot of people mm-hmm. yeah. said you know yeah a lot of people said well what prevents you know some other people from doing this and uh, you know, maybe nothing except for all the work and all the time and all the dedication yeah. and all the actual labor and all so a lot of the stuff like you're right it kind of gets overlooked a little bit but we're we're really proud of where we're at now and we're hoping to now I'm so excited you exist I know you've heard it from all the musicians I'm just so excited you're here <laughs> we are too yeah no we're excited I mean like yeah it's, like, it's been it's been two or three years our life that we've to get here and it's great so what's the obviously when you come up when you start a business there's a five-year plan maybe a 10-year plan is this (laughs) something you thought about maybe not is this something you thought about taking to other cities major markets that don't have something like this no no we i mean there, (laughs) there is chicago is enough (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the um, other. I mean, like Steve just said it. Chicago's enough. We really haven't been doing business without uh, even people who have approached us from outside the market because mm-hmm. we don't even want to try to figure out shipping right now. Good point. And because there's enough business right here. I think internally we've always said if we can throw a wall around Chicago and get all the business that's here, we will have a nice thriving business. Yeah. yeah and I would say more importantly, a, 
big, big pain point of the way people have been doing it for years is the shipping part of it. There's, yeah. you know, a lot of time and money. There's damaged goods. There's yeah. having someone to receive it. There's things get lost in the mail. There's warping. You know, like said, yeah, there's a ton oh, of yeah. problems with shipping oh, God, something like as pain in the ass in yeah. every yeah. possible way. Well, yeah, they talk the about fragile. summer. You know, the heat. Yeah. They, sit, they sit on a loading dock and you lost 500 records because they sat in the sun for Super eight hours. Super fragile and it's critical and that they're treated right. That would get you right. in the hole yeah. really quick. Yeah. 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 Totally get it. And it's kind of this whole micro, you know, manufacturing that's going on in mm-hmm. this building, in this town. It's just kind of neat to be able to, to now have access to a machine that can that can produce a record at, a, at an efficient enough pace to create a business that can serve just the local community. Yeah, I love it. So the space we, we talked about the the listening room. Uh, you're going to do events and stuff in there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're working on stuff all the time. I mean, we've 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 got some great ideas. We've like I we mentioned to our clients, use our space, use our space to help you sell records. If you're a label, use our space to help promote your label to your client, who is the artist. And those artists who've worked really hard, we want them to come in and experience them yeah. seeing their art being made, seeing those groups. There's come nothing out. like it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I love it. All right, so smashplastic.com. Yep, is where people can begin their journey, and like we said, they'll have to contact you, and you will guide them. I mean, and just hearing the way you describe this, the enthusiasm and the commitment, and just the earnestness, definitely, you convey. <laughs> I, I think. I think that's really appealing to the musicians of this city. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for opening this. A, a grateful city thanks you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome, thanks though. For thanks for having us. us. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry thanks the for the tacos. No, the tacos are great. <laughs> oh, they were good. Yeah. You know, when you're hungry, a cold taco is just as good as anything else, <laughs> right? Yeah. I'd say medium warm. Yeah. Uh, Carcoon Carne is presented by the Audubon Mazda of Evanston. Uh, if you like what you hear, please, by all means, tell a friend, carconcarne.com. Anywhere you download podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Apple, iHeart, tune in. I'm out. All right, thanks.